coming to you from fabulous Las Vegas. The right side is the winning side. The late move is the correct move. Sports betting capital of the world. We all know when a sharp like me weighs in, the lines move. It's a party for your ears. <laughs> This is The Buffet with Chad and Scooch. I want to buy that guy a buffet. Welcome back to The Buffet with Chad and Scooch. I am Chad Millman from the Action Network. On the phone with me from the Orleans, representing all the Boyd Gaming books in the state of Nevada and across the country, ever inching closer to becoming bookmaker to the world. Mr. Bob Scucci, how you doing, Scooch? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. We have a very special guest on the show today. Huge, huge special guest. Bill Barnwell, NFL columnist for ESPN.com. He has a story leading the site right now. Possibly the smartest NFL writer um, in the country bringing together analysis and data and narrative and film study in a very unique voice, all into one nifty package. Bill Barnwell, how are you? Tremendous introduction. Now I got to live up to that, though. I'm not sure I can pull that off. You don't have to do it all at once. You can do it over the course of a season. Very promising. How's it going, guys? Hey, Bill, how are you? I'm great. I'm excited to talk about some... NFL action. Uh, looking forward to it. Well, that's what we're going to do today. So uh, NFL preseason kicks off in earnest over the next 24 hours. Um, I've already made I've already made two bets on the NFL preseason. Scooch, really? I'm curious. Uh, yeah, uh, I've actually I've already made my first bet of the year was on the um, Bears Ravens total. It was 32 and a half when I got it. I got it. I got, as they say in the biz, because I'm a sharp, Scooch, you know this. I do. You got to get the best of the number, right? And uh, I got that total at 32 and a half. It closed at 35. Wow. The game landed on 33. I won. So I got it. You did. I got it. (laughs) I won my bet. That's a nice way to kick off the season. It's a great way to kick off the season. Nice use of the pun. And um, all I was thinking was, you know, in the action, in in, uh, the action app, our app that anyone can download, um, we have this great feature where we have sort of a circle where uh, if you are winning your bet, then the circle is green. And if the bet is sort of 50-50, the circle turns orange. And if you are losing your bet, the circle turns red. So for the entire game, my circle was green. Uh, And then towards the middle of the fourth quarter, it turned orange. And like when Tyler Bray gets the ball on like the four yard line with four minutes left and the Bears are down by God knows what. And I'm losing my bet by less than a touchdown. The circle is like blazing red. And I'm like, I can't fucking believe that my first bet of the year and I am sweating this preseason game is coming down to Tyler Bray on a field long drive to, 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 to hit the over. I, yeah, that's, that's preseason. I, I, I mean, I watched everybody in the book. They were clamoring for football for the entire summer after, after the NBA stopped and then all they had to bet on was baseball. They just couldn't wait for that first preseason game. And uh, and they were in the book doing the exact same thing that you just described. I mean, both the, the total and the side were both in play right to the end. So depending on what number you got, um, it, it turned out to be a, a pretty good result uh, for, the, for the book because we had everybody laying two and a half uh, by game time with the Ravens on that one. So uh, total wasn't too big of a decision, but the side was pretty good for us. Bill, do you have a theory on betting preseason football? My theory is I probably don't know what I'm talking about. So I I try to avoid it beyond, I think, looking at the same sort of history when it comes to coaches who are giving a significant effort uh, relative to some of the other coaches in the National Football League. Uh, So I I am strictly just a let's look at history guy when it comes to the preseason. If I have a hunch, uh, I don't have enough faith that my hunch is very smart. 
Well, I'm glad you bring that up because so there's the game on Thursday night. We're recording this podcast on Wednesday afternoon. There's a game Thursday night. The Jets uh, were opened as two point favorites at home against the Falcons. The game, I think, is now three, three and a half. I think the, the number has mm-hmm. gone up. That's how much money is coming in on the Jets. And um, my theory is similar to what you just said, which is the Jets kind of need a win, even though it's preseason, in that they are a team that is still in disarray, that is trying to figure out who they are, that is playing at home for a football-starved crowd, and they need to build optimism, enthusiasm, both within their ranks, but also amongst the fan base. Whereas they're playing a Falcons team where Dan Quinn and Tom Dimitrov just signed contract extensions. They have a team in a battery of Julio Jones and Matt Ryan that is well-established. And while they're developing still in the offense that Sarkeesian, Steve Sarkeesian, you know, brought in last year, they're in a we don't have to prove anything in the preseason, just work out the kinks phase. So I look at that and I think it's similar to what you're saying about a new coach wanting to win. This is a team that needs to win versus a team that knows what the preseason is for. Give me your take on that. Yeah. I think the other thing I'd say here is that you look at the Jets depth chart at quarterback. Well, their first string quarterback is Teddy Bridgewater. So, I mean, they, they're going to be having an NFL caliber quarterback play throughout that entire game with Josh McCown, Teddy Bridgewater, and Sam Darnold. Those guys are going to be getting the snaps in this game. The Falcons roster, Matt Ryan's going to maybe play the first drive. He'll take a seat. It'll be Matt Schaub, who does not necessarily an NFL caliber quarterback at this point. And then it's Kurt Bankert, uh, Garrett Grayson, I believe the former uh, Saints draft pick is on the roster as well. So uh, second half of that game, you're going to have Teddy Bridgewater against some pretty mediocre NFL quarterbacks. And, and certainly the Jets, I think, want to also you know, try and highlight Teddy Bridgewater in advance of a possible trade during this preseason. So uh, I think you have a pretty big advantage in terms of quarterback play in that matchup. Wow, I didn't even think of that. Scooch, why is all the money coming in on the Jets right now in a preseason game? That's a huge move. Well, I think you just described a pretty good reason. Uh, You know, there's two, and you did too as well. I mean, when you're betting preseason, I think most of the Sharps look at a couple different angles. One is, are coaches that are trying to make uh, uh, an impression out of the gate. So you're looking at some of the new coaches on a, on a team that getting a couple of wins for, for morale, even though for, for preseason means a little bit, but then the depth of quarterback is one of the things like you just described sweat in your, your, your first game in, in preseason. It's whoever's in there in the fourth quarter, that's really going to make the difference. So if you do have two or three real good quarterbacks that, you know, are going to be in there towards the end of the game, that's going to make the big difference. I feel vindicated right now. <laughs> well, because you're a shark. That's why. Everyone I'm knows. a shark. I wasn't even, I, honestly, like, my logic wasn't even as good as Bill's. And I still feel like I was on the right, right side. It's almost like it's just instinct for me at this point. I don't even need sort of, <laughs> I, I don't even need the data. I can just, I can do it by feel. Now, I will say in that game that we have about three times as many tickets on the Falcons as we do on the Jets, but a lot more money because we have the Sharps on the Jets. So the money's on the Jets, but the more tickets are on the Falcons. Boom. (laughs) That's another angle, huh? That's all I have to say about that. I freaking (laughs) love it. Absolutely love it. Uh, Barnwell, right now there's a story on ESPN.com. Uh, written by you, these NFL teams, it's a lead story on ESPN.com. That's a big deal. That is a huge website. Uh, And as someone who used to uh, manage that particular product, I know what a big deal it was when you would file a story. Everyone would get excited because we knew we had something to anchor the top of the page. Um, So it says, uh, the headline is, these NFL teams are copying the Eagles blueprint. Tell me who's copying the Eagles blueprint and whether or not they are going to be successful or they are going to be uh, unsuccessful. So I went through a couple different things. Obviously, you think about the Eagles from last year. Uh, they really invest heavily on both sides of the line of scrimmage, offensive line. Uh, a lot of free agents traded for Jason Peters years ago. He's still on the roster, of course. D. 
defensive line, a ton of depth around Fletcher Cox, who's a fantastic player, but none of their defensive line had even played, I believe, 60% of the snaps during the regular season. So they really were heavy on a rotation, eight guys playing 40% of the snaps or more. Uh, you know, they, they put a lot of weapons around their quarterback, whether it was Carson Wentz or Nick Foles. Uh, they didn't invest heavily at cornerback, things like that. Uh, so you look at look at that all together, look at who's copying it the most. On offense, I think the sort of obvious example might be the Chicago Bears, uh, a team that hired the Chiefs offensive coordinator, Matt Nagy, just as the Eagles did with Doug Peterson years ago. Uh, they they have a quarterback they traded up for in Mitchell Trubisky. Uh, Sam with the Eagles traded up for Carson Wentz. Not a lot of weapons around him during his rookie season. Uh, during this offseason, of course, they invested a ton in weapons. Allen Robinson, uh, Taylor Gabriel, Trey Burden, and Eagle himself. They even signed Chase Daniel, which uh, I'm not sure if that's part of the Eagles' plan necessarily, but it doesn't hurt, I suppose. Uh, so there's really similarities there. And then on the defensive side of the ball, it's actually Tampa Bay, a team that, uh, of course, it's difficult to kind of gauge right now because of Jameis Winston's suspension, but they really invested heavily uh, in their defensive line, added a ton of players, including Bo Allen and Vinny Curry, former Eagles themselves, traded for JPP, Jason Pierre-Paul. Uh, they have Gerald McCoy, who's sort of the Fletcher Cox in that dominant interior disruptor role, used a first-round pick on Vita Vea from Washington, and then uh, drafted a bunch of cornerbacks as well to help out the secondary. So uh, a, a defense that was dead last in Football Outsiders' DVOA stat last year, so a very bad defense by advanced metrics. But if they take a step forward, if they're not going to be the last for Kentucky, because if they could be 20th, maybe even 16th, they can improve to league average, and you get Jameis Winston back for 13 games, suddenly – that team could be interesting. I'm not going to say they're going to be uh, a, a playoff contender just because they're missing Winston for the first two games of the season, but uh, there is a uh, there is an opportunity for that team to kind of take a step forward in a way that uh, it might not seem on the surface. And I think they're copying in some of the ways what the Eagles did in uh, building their defense in last year. All right, Scooch. Barnwell just laid out like two really thoughtful ways that the Bears and the Bucks are trying to mimic what the Super Bowl champions did. How much of what he said went into the way you thought about the season win totals for the Bears and the Bucks? Uh, well, particularly for the for the Bears, it did, uh, and that's kind of what uh, a lot of the talks surrounding the season win totals were going to be. That even though the Bears were in a a, a tough division, uh, that they were still expected to uh, overachieve and uh, everyone's expectations as far as the season win totals. We put up six and a half, which seems like a pretty pretty high season win total for a Bears team that you know wasn't very good last year, but. Uh, a lot of the sentiment is that they're going to be, I heard a lot of talk about them actually being compared to the way the Rams went from a team that was only supposed to win five or six games and, and ended up winning 11 games. Uh, I, I think uh, uh, we're seeing a lot of bets coming in on the over in the season win totals, particularly for the Bears. I actually just thought you were going to say, we don't pay attention to any of that hooey. We took a pencil, <laughs> we took, we took a pencil to paper and we were like, eh. This is the number. <laughs> yeah, no, we do that too. No, we're we're like, I've said this many times before. We're handicapping where we think the money is as very much as much as we are handicapping what we actually think the outcome is going to be. They're they're both part of the same process. So if if everyone's reading a lot of the stuff that you guys are writing, then that's going to influence their opinion in terms of uh, how how they're approaching these bets. So yeah, no, it makes a big difference. Scooch, you're not you're not. Go ahead, Bill. No, I was going to ask Scooch. I mean, do you think uh, are the Bears a team that maybe get because they such, have such a large fan base? Are they a team that gets maybe a little bit of irrational positivity uh, on the overside, like maybe like a Cowboys or a Giants, perhaps? If, if they were good, I'd say I say yeah. So we see that mm-hmm. with popular teams when they're good. But then you also see the same thing during, I mean, the opposite during the downturn. So all those years that the 49ers were really good, you did see that bias. But then as soon as they start cycling downwards and their their team is on the downward trend, then you, you actually see the opposite where they're betting against them. I was just going to say that, Scooch, I know for a fact you're not reading anything anybody writes about any teams. <laughs> Because, like, you've, you've never listened to your own podcast. You don't even know where I work, and chances are good you've never read the book that you wrote. That's true. But, you know, you're inside these circles, and you hear people talking about what they've read. So there's that. 
Well, it's good to know that the bookmaker of the world, who's the first domino to fall for a multi-billion dollar industry, is going on hearsay to make all the numbers. <laughs> it's like buying stocks. When you hear a stock, when you hear stock tips, it, you know, it, you, it sometimes it sways your opinion on, on what stocks you're going to buy. When you're when you're listening to the experts talk, then that, that's going to affect how you bet. And people wonder why the country's in trouble. <laughs> Listen, the Bears are at six and a half. Um, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are at six and a half. I will say this. Given the hype around the Bears, I am surprised that the Bears are still at six and a half. Given the Jameis Winston scenario and the fact that nobody thinks Dirk Cutter is a very good coach and might be the first guy to be fired this year, and the fact that generally the Bucs are just one of those – you know, Scooch, as you and I have discussed, one of those nondescript Southern teams that nobody really cares about um, with a logo that I couldn't pick out of a lineup that is probably going to change next year. So why are the Bucks and the Bears in the same spot? I would have thought by now the Bears are probably inching closer to seven, um, yeah. maybe getting, you know, bigger money and yeah. uh, bigger juice. And I would think the Bucks actually would have opened even a little bit lower. Yeah, the the the, the Bears are inching up. They're up to uh, minus dollar forty on the over, so they are, like I said, they are betting the over on that one. And and the Bucks, you know, that, that division. Not every team can go over their win total uh, because you have, you know, the, the the Falcons are at nine and a half, and the, the Panthers are at eight and a half, and uh, and the Saints. It's impossible for all of them to go over. So so yeah, the 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 Bucks would be the one team that you would probably want to uh, shade the under on. Mm-hmm. And I'll Bill, tell you, you can, I mean, go ahead. Go hey, ahead. No, you go about Bill. that. Go. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. No, I mean, you think about the Bucks and look at their schedule. I mean, you think, okay, well, James Winston gets suspended, the line's going to drop, and and you know, at least leave some of the money's going to drop, and that would make sense. But you look at those first two games for the Bucks. They're at New Orleans, and they host Philadelphia and host Pittsburgh. I don't think they were going to win those games with James Winston. So it might be a thing where you know uh, you, you you hear the news, and you think, okay, well, that's a big reason to to sort of fade the Buccaneers over the course of the entire season. But I don't think it really might have changed their expectation dramatically, just given that it was so unlikely they were going to win any of those three games. I feel like, Bill, you can appreciate and then debunk what I've done, which is in the NFC North, I have gone on record as picking the over 10, over 10 for the Packers, over 10 for the Vikings, over six and a half for the Bears. I've gone under on the Lions. Okay. Is any of that is any of that actually mathematically possible? <laughs> can I can there be two teams in the division to go over ten and another team to go over six and a half? It's possible. The Lions have to be pretty bad, though. I mean, they're talking about a really ugly season for Detroit, which I guess is not out of the question. But you know, between those two, and I do feel kind of strange saying this, given how good they were last year, but I, I would I would be more skeptical of the Vikings going over ten wins and the Packers going over ten wins. Oh my God, I couldn't be more against you. I couldn't be more against you. And I'm and given sort of the way you approach your storytelling, um, I'm shocked you would say that. And let me lay this out for you. And then Scooch, I want you to to tell me where the public is, which I know, but where the sharps are, because we had a great conversation about the Vikings and their Super Bowl futures in the podcast last week. My feeling on the Vikings is that Kirk Cousins is a much better quarterback than Case Keenum and Mm -hmm. was lacking uh, coaching support, emotional support, and human resource talent support um, when he was in Washington. He has that now in Minnesota in in all three levels offensively. He was lacking consistent defensive support in Washington, has that probably the best defense in the NFL. And I'm not talking about fewest yards allowed. I'm not talking about their scoring defense. I'm talking about – Yards per play allowed. You know, I know, like betters love yards per play allowed. They think it is the most relevant stat, the most revealing stat out of the box score. You can separate it. It's the biggest signal in all the noise. Um, And they dominate in that. And so to me, I feel like they got much better from an offensive perspective and they still have the best defense in the league. Bill, speak to me. Do you, want, do you want my you want my retort to that? I want I want your retort, and then I want Scooch to tell me that I'm right and you're wrong. That's <laughs> no, I mean, it's your show, so the latter is probably going to happen. 
But here's what I'd say about the Vikings. I agree with you. Kirk Cousins is obviously much higher floor to me than Case Keenum does. Uh, it would not shock me if the offense was better than it was a year ago. The thing I would say is that you look at that offensive line, you have multiple injuries already on that offensive line. Nick Easton's injured, Pat Elfline's injured, and those injuries could stretch into the regular season. So I would be concerned about that. Let's start there. The offensive line could decline. Well, suddenly then you're looking at an offense that might not be as effective, even with a better quarterback. Defensive side of the ball, this was the healthiest defense in football a year ago, according to the Football Outsiders Almanac, which just recently came out. The healthiest defense in the league, uh, third down conversion rate of 25%, the best we've seen over the last 23 years. I, I, I have purple bar reference data going back to 1994. No defense has ever been better on third down. Look at those defenses that were the top 25 defenses on third down uh, from the past 23 years. Following year, they were not as good on third down. They, were, they declined on, on defense by an average of about 45 points uh, from the previous year. So I can see the defense not being the best defense in football, but being the fifth, the sixth, the seventh best defense in football. So take that step backwards. Suddenly the offense might not be able to make up for that leap. And then you throw in the division, which you already, uh, you confirmed, you think is good. Uh, this is a, a division where the, the Vikings went five and one last year. They played, I believe, all of two series against Aaron Rodgers. And you know, they had no trouble with Brett Hundley in those two games. I think they, they picked him off five times and I think shut him out in one of those games. Uh, it's going to be a tougher slip for them in the NFC North. So again, I don't think they're going to be a bad team, but uh, it, it wouldn't shock me to think they are an eight or nine win team, or maybe even a 10 win team, maybe an 11 win team, but that's at least within the range of possibilities for me versus uh, the defense you saw from a year ago. Listen, take a position. The the total is 10, and you just said they could be an eight win team, a nine win team, a 10 win or an 11 win team. <laughs> It's, it's, not, it's not a strong play for me. I, I, I wouldn't take a strong stance on it. But what, what you said was you're taking Packers over, Vikings over, Bears over. Of those three bets, the one that I would be most hesitant to take would be Vikings over. Scooch, yeah. give, me, give me the proof right now of what's <laughs> happening with the Vikings in the market. Oh, everyone's betting the over. The wise guys are betting the over. The public's betting the over. So you had a team that, that went well over their season win total last year and essentially had the same team back with the, the upgrade on at, at the quarterback spot. So the sentiment is that they should easily surpass or at least equal uh, what they did last year. And, and at 10 wins, there seems to be a little bit of value there. So the money, money came in on the over. Um, the one, the one thing is they do have a, a couple of tough road games. They play the Rams, Eagles, the Seahawks, the Patriots on the road. So uh, you, you look at the schedule and you look at some of the games where maybe they're small favorites or small underdogs, that those are the games that are going to decide whether it is a 10-win season or an 11-win season. Well, let me ask you. So, so the Vikings last year, 13-3, and three, they upgraded the quarterback. What were they posted at the start of the season at the Orleans? Uh, nine and a half. So nine and a half. So already you've baked his line as a three and a half game decline from what we saw a year ago. But the logic you just pointed out there makes sense. They bring back edge one, quarterbacks, you know, quarterbacks upgraded. So it, it, it's, I guess it's not a surprise to me that they got a lot of action on the over uh, at that nine and a half. And then even a little bit, it seems like at 10. And you hit a, you, I was just going to say the key thing, like when he said that it could be a nine win season, 10 win season, or an 11 win season, there's a big, uh, there, when, when a game is sitting right on the whole number of, of 10, you're getting a little bit more value betting either way because there's a very good likelihood that they win exactly 10 games and you get your mm -hmm. money back. So, so there's, there's, you know, a, a good chance there that, uh, that they'll either push or go over. Why did you yeah. set it? At, why did you set it at nine and a half? That was last year. He was asking. But it opened. No, at, I'm asking this year. But it opened at nine and a half this year. He was asking about this year. Oh, this year. I thought you. I thought you were talking about last year. What it was. Oh no, no this sorry. year. Yeah, yeah. No, this year we opened it at ten, and then they just bet it up to ten, uh, 10 over minus a dollar forty. Got it. And okay. Even ten, like ten, is a three game, is a three game decline off of what you were at of of what they won last year. How do you settle on ten? Why not ten and a half? Why not eleven? Yeah, just looking at the games, like when you go through their schedule and you try to arrive at what the point spread would be in each particular game. So, like I said, out of those those four kind of 
pivot games where they're they're playing the the, the Rams, Eagles, and Patriots. Uh, you, you know, you're just trying to say if they're a three point or more underdog in those games, you expect them to lose those games. So you count them as a loss. So when you run down the schedule, just according to the point spreads, you arrive at, uh, t- at 10 wins. Now, obviously there's going to be a couple of games where they're either a pick them or, or plus or minus one. And you just have to kind of, uh, use a feel of where the public's going to bet. So we just, that's how you arrive at all the numbers on, on the season win totals. Mm-hmm. Bill. I don't know if we've ever talked about this. This is a tangent for a second. This is inside Grantland ESPN history right here. In 2011, um, you had just moved to Vegas. You were working for Grantland. Um, and I had just taken over as editor-in-chief of ESPN the magazine. But I was still doing my gambling column for ESPN.com. And I was excited that you were in Vegas. And um, I actually pitched. I can't remember if I pitched it to both Bill uh, Simmons, obviously of uh, Grantland and now of the Ringer, um, who's, which is great stuff. Uh, and both, you know, obviously Grantland was amazing, and the Ringer ha- has incredible talent now too. And uh, Rob King, who was my boss at the magazine and and has gone on to more greatness at at ESPN, um, mm-hmm. I pitched to them that Bill and I should do a column competing against each other where. I take everything I know about how wise guys think and how bookmakers set lines and how the market moves. And Bill should take everything he knows about analyzing games through analytics and film study and what he just knows as a football savant. And we should see like, who's better at it. Is it the market and the bookmakers and the wise guys, or is it Bill with his computer like brain and ability for narrative? I feel like seven years, and it didn't happen because, like, I think Rob felt, as he appropriately felt, you're a little busy. You just took over the magazine. I don't really think you can be managing this right now. Uh, so it didn't, it didn't really go anywhere. But I feel like we're actually getting to do it right now. Yeah, I, I think the fact that I don't live in Vegas anymore should probably tell you how that action would have gone and who would have won that that side of that bet that here. I, I think it would have been you. I could have looked like a genius. You still can. You still can. Although I'm not going to live in Vegas again this time around. Uh, I'm happy, happy to be proven uh, an idiot from the East Coast as opposed to, to moving out there again. Well, that might be step number one that proves you're an idiot. You left the beautiful sunny weather and cheaper lifestyle in Vegas for eternal winter at a price that barely anyone can afford to live in New York. Bill- Bill, don't let him both likes to walk all over people. You got to, you got to put him in his place once in a while. <laughs> Shut up. I Scoot. appreciate that. We're having the show. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I still remember, uh, I still remember, you know, some of the awful beats I had that year. So I, I won't, I won't force, you know, I, I won't regale you with bad beat stories because everyone has them and then, you know, you can always throw them all, but, uh, yeah, it was not. It was a year where I, I learned a lot about how much I didn't know when it came to uh, betting on stuff in Vegas. What did you think of living in Vegas and sort of following it as a as a better? That was a really smart thing that you guys did when Bill and you decided that you were going to move out there and sort of live in that environment and write about football from that perspective. I remember like a lot of it was you were doing that and then it morphed eventually into you're just writing about football and you happen to be in Vegas. But what was your, what was your thoughts and experience about being in Vegas? Like Scooch lives in Vegas, like a King, like an Italian potentate. And so um, tell me about your experience there. Well, I mean, you know, when it came to football, obviously it's such a, you know, you can't cover the NFL without thinking about it from a gambling perspective, even if you don't want to gamble, just thinking about, you know, how other people, how fans are approaching it. And so uh, I, I, you have to think about it that way. You can't, you can't ignore that element of it. You're not doing your job if you're not at least acknowledging that this exists and it's a, a big part of why people watch the NFL. No different to me than, than fantasy football in terms of how I might look at the NFL and how I might think about the NFL. So uh, I, I think it was interesting because I was there during the absolute, you know, bottom of the economy, bottom of the housing market in Vegas, you know, I, I was living in the View Towers in, in City Center just because, uh, you know, it, it had basically all the people who wanted to invest in it 
uh, decided not to after the housing bubble burst. And so we had this gleaming, you know, brand new building uh, on Las Vegas Boulevard that was 10%, 15, 20% occupied. And I would go days without seeing anybody in the elevator in the building. Uh, it was, it was a very strange experience, but uh, you know, I, I think I learned a lot about just, you know, I watched the end of games differently and it, it's just a little simplistic, but it's also true. I mean, just in terms of the motivation for players, the motivation for, you know, fans watching it, you know, I, I, it really, it really breathed life into every moment of an NFL game, uh, especially because, you know, right at the time there was, you know, you really had the first sort of live betting coming into play uh, when it came to the books themselves, or you could finally start betting on things in real time. Uh, it, it was just a, every moment meant more to me than it did before I went to Vegas. And even though I don't live there, even though I'm not betting on games on a week-to-week basis anymore, uh, you know, I'm still thinking about that. I'm still considering that when it comes to evaluating how people play and moments that I would have written off as, ah, you know, it was garbage time, who cares? Like, obviously it matters. <laughs> obviously it, it's, it's moving millions uh, of dollars. Uh, whether it be in Vegas or offshore or, or, or off the books. So uh, it really does, it, it just makes every moment more meaningful in NFL games to me. That's really cool. That little walk down memory lane is brought to you by Grantland and ESPN the magazine. Now back to our show. Uh, all right. I, you know what? Go ahead, Scooch. Chad. I, yeah. I, I think it's going to be an interesting shift to see how the media and journalists now cover the games with the expansion of sports betting around the country. And I'm not just talking about looking at a game and saying, uh, you know, I think this team is going to win and they're going to win big or they're going to win by more than the point spread. I just mean more of more of an angle in terms of where some value is like you never hear too many of the, 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 the talking heads on TV talking about a big sizable underdog that's going to keep a game competitive. And there, you know, maybe some value on looking at a team that's, you know, 10 or 12 point underdog in a game. Uh, I always find it funny when I watch that, the, the Fox uh, pregame show and I'm, uh, they're all giving their picks and every pick is exactly the same. The seven point favorites, they're all picking them. And then when they pick their one, <laughs> their one underdog, it's usually a, a plus one underdog. It's never a big sizable <laughs> underdog. And I was like, wow, you're really going out on a limb there. <laughs> you know so, what, Scooch? I agree with yeah. you. I actually think that uh, someone should ditch their beautiful, bright, gleaming career at a major media company like ESPN where they were making more money than they would ever need and would certainly have more than enough to support their family. Uh, they should ditch all that to go work for a startup media company in the gambling space because <laughs> oh, oh. they- Are you guys still there? Oh, I, think, they, I think my line went dead, yeah. sorry. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'll call that. That's a good salesman, isn't he? No, I was I was actually talking. I was talking about me. I wasn't like being so blatant as to like recruit Bill on the podcast. I'm talking about what the fuck I am. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I get it now. It makes it makes sense to me now. I understand. Yeah. Um, yeah. but I absolutely agree. You know, I, I do think that uh, it's going to change what we think about the game. And I, I'm a big soccer fan. I watch a ton of soccer. I, I've been to a lot of games in England, for example. And it, it's such a ubiquitous part of the culture there uh, when it comes to betting uh, on soccer. You know, I mean, you can bet, obviously, on on games inside the stadium. You can bet on the match, uh, you know, from the concession stands, basically. There, there are kiosks. You can bet on the game. Uh, you know, the, the sideboards, the, the digital sideboards will have, uh, you know, in-running updates so you can bet on stuff happening in real time. Uh, the commercials will have updates or halftime commercials will have updates on uh, you know, the odds on who's going to score first in the second half uh, that are catered to after what happened in the first half. So, I mean, there's, you know, it, it, it really has permeated all elements of watching soccer. And, and so it, it would not shock me if that's going to happen with the NFL over the next 10, 15 years. And, and I think if that happens, you can't, you can't cover the NFL. You can't talk about the NFL without acknowledging that that exists. And, and it, not that necessarily you're going to be a sharp, but I'm certainly not going to be a sharp by any means, but you know, at least being conversant when it comes to the language of that and, and talking about games with that in mind. Right. 100% agree with both of you. That is why I left ESPN to help form the Action Network. Yes, you did. Clearly. 
clearly, <laughs> it, it, feel, it feels like you want us to validate you in this. Yeah, movie, it like. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind it. I, you know, it's like I did, Chad. That was a great, great move, and I, I will tell you that. No, seriously, you, you know, I, I love to. I left a lot behind. I wouldn't mind if someone every once in a while was like, hey, you know what? That's a good idea. <laughs> Your timing was, I mean, you you were able to foresee what, what happened with the Supreme Court ruling. Their timing was impeccable. I mean, you couldn't ask for better timing with the start of, of the Action Network. I mean, now and now that sports betting is just opening up in all these states, it's, it's perfect. You're, you're sitting you. in the catbird Bye-bye. seat. I appreciate it's that. That's all I've ever heard anybody do. <laughs> ever. <laughs> ever. <laughs> oh my God. You guys, you shouldn't really. I don't, I appreciate you. So uh, in a, such an unprompted way, filling my head with good thoughts. Listen, Scooch, I want yeah. us to each go through right now. And I want to talk about um, our two favorite season win total bets. You can go over, you can go under, but I want two from each of us. And uh, Scooch, as you are giving us, uh, as we are talking about these, I additionally want you to give me um, how the market is reacting to these particular bets. Bill, would you like to go first? Do you need a minute to think about it? Would you like me to go first? Um, I'm happy to do either. I would love for you to go first, because I do need a minute to think about my options here. Here is what I would like to say. I would like to say that, number one, I love, 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 hold on, uh, let me just get to the line here, the New York Giants. Um, Scooch, what do you have them at right now? Oh, well, I just moved them yesterday to seven and a half, but they were at seven. Ooh. Oh, man. You know what? I'll still take them at seven and a half. I love the Giants this year. I love the Giants on their future. Um, they were at 50 to one. I know, Scooch, you moved them to 25 to 1 off of a ton of sharp money. Um, also, what we didn't mention about the Vikings, just to close the loop on this, is that the Vikings were another team getting uh, huge amounts of public action, and their Super Bowl odds have dropped, I think, from what, like 12 to 1 to 8 to 1, Scooch? Yep. Yep. Okay. So I love the Giants. I think um, that the Giants. You know, they were a train wreck of a team last year. And I think that getting them anything under eight, to me, you guys set the line really low based on what the action was last year. Um, And their offense can only be better because they don't have a train wreck of a coach. Uh, Eli is going to have more support in Odell being back and in Saquon Barkley. Um, I love what they've done. On defense, they've added Alec Ogletree as one of the better linebackers in football. So to me, this is a team that's on the make. Like, I don't remember the last time, I think it's since 2004, that the NFC East champ has repeated. And so while the Super Bowl champ came out of there, I don't think it's a done deal. The Eagles are going to be the team that repeats. Um, so I love the Giants and the over, and I'll take it at seven and a half. There you go. Tell me about the market, Scooch. Uh, the market agrees with you, and that's why I, I went from seven. I, I moved it up to seven minus 50, seven over minus 70. And then finally yesterday we went to uh, seven and a half. We moved it to half a game, and you're still laying a price on the over at uh, minus $1.30. So I think a lot of people agree with you. Uh, I, I think it was like er- everything you just described is, is accurate, and everyone else feels the same way. Is that wise guy money or is that public money? It's mostly wise guy money. The, the public money really didn't start coming in until uh, recently. The, the public kind of likes to follow a lot of the wise guy moves. So they, they waited after these came out back in April, May, and they watched where some of these line movements went, and then, they, and then the public followed. I'm not surprised it's wise guy money, given my stats. <laughs> yeah, because you are such a sharp. Yeah. Uh, I am also all over... The Houston Texans, the Houston Texans, it's a high number. It's eight and a half plus, and, but the over is plus 130. So you're getting a better deal. Um, similar logic for me as the Giants. Uh, you're basically getting your two best players back. You're getting two first round draft picks back in Deshaun Watson and J.J. Watt. Um, you already have one of the best receivers in football in DeAndre Hopkins. I think Bill O'Brien is a really smart coach who did a lot with nothing last year and Deshaun Watson last year 
he was having one of the best season rookie quarterback seasons in his history. And I loved him coming out of college. I'm a Bears fan, and I was desperate for the Bears to draft him. I've always been a big believer in um, number of games you start in college being reflective of success in the NFL. And to me, Deshaun Watson fit that bill, and he his trajectory is so much higher than I think people can recognize. So I like the Texans over eight and a half. Give me some plus money. Talk to me, Scooch. Well, no, no plus money anymore. I mean, that was one of the ones that they did bet pretty heavily on the over. So uh, we're at eight and a half over minus a dollar forty now. So now it's minus money on the over. Uh, but you know, just big question marks. Can can Deshaun Watson stay healthy? J.J. Watt. I mean, those are the the two big ifs uh, with Houston. But uh, uh, I, I think most of the it's not a heavily bet game or a heavily bet total, but the, the sharps are on the over in this one. So they feel that this team will uh, stay healthy all season. Two sharp picks from Chad Millman. Because that's who you are. <laughs> I, as we know, as we've already discussed and praised me for, I can see the future. Bill yep. Barnwell. Mm-hmm. Top that. Well, I agree with you on Houston. I got to admit, I, I'm, you know, the, the, the big move in terms of, uh, you know, the action on that side makes sense to me. I'm not surprised. I do think the upside there is super high. So with you on the Texans, I don't know about the Giants. I, they were my, my, I, I posted them on Twitter. My biggest under last year was uh, Giants under nine. And then I had Texans under eight and a half. Uh, and I got a little lucky, I think with the Watson injury, but I still think the, you know, the instincts were right there in terms of the Texans. So, uh, but this year, I'll throw two unders out there because you threw two overs out there. I'm going to, I'm going to go Panthers. And I don't know the series, nine under, or under nine is minus 130. So I'm pretty comfortable with that just because I think they were an overrated team last year by the numbers. They had a 9.0 win uh, point differential when you look at the numbers there. And then they were uh, seven and one in games decided by a touchdown or less. I mean, all I have to look at is the Panthers' history uh, between 2011 and 2017 to see how dependent their record has been on that performance in one score game, which is not going to be sustainable. And then I don't think they got better for this offseason. This is a team that lost Andrew Norwell, their first team all-pro guard. Uh, Daryl Williams, starting right tackle, is probably done for the year. Even if he plays, he's not going to be the same guy. He was very solid last year. Uh, a team that has a lot of players in their mid to late 30s in key roles. So it's tough to count on guys like Greg Olson, uh, Ryan Khalil uh, to get stay healthy. Thomas Davis, another injury risk, and also suspended for the first four games of the season. And then I, I don't love the fit of North Turner with Cam Newton in this offense, especially in an offense that has offensive line issues now. Uh, I don't trust them to pass and track long enough to get North Turner to run that downfield passing attack. I think Cam's going to make a few things happen, but I have to admit, I'm very skeptical of this Panthers team, especially if I think the Buccaneers are going to be okay. Uh, and I think the Falcons and Lynch are still going to be two very good football teams. I, I could see them having a losing record this year pretty comfortably. So uh, I would go under nine there and feel pretty good about it, even at, uh, even at 30 cents. And I'd also go under Tennessee. Oh, hold, on, hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I love that bet. I think it's super smart. Oh, thank you. And I think that the thing about – Norv Turner is spot on. So Jeff Schwartz, who played in the NFL for a long time and is an analyst for the Action Network, made a great point the other day. He played with Cam in North Carolina. He still lives in in Charlotte. And um, he made a great point that Norv Turner has never had a quarterback like Cam. Like his career has been built around drop back quarterbacks. And the thing about Cam is that he really needs to get physical and to get into a rhythm in the running game personally to start to get amped and feel comfortable. And you could see him sort of get emotionally charged when he has at least like one good run in a game. And that's not part of North Turner's design. And Cam Newton has won at the high school, JUCO, college, and professional level, both personal accolades and team accomplishments, doing exactly what he's done without changing a thing. So it's going to be really hard for him to adjust his game. North Turner is going to have to figure out a system that is different than what he's done for his entire career. I think that's going to be challenging. I think that's the key to what you just said. Love that play. Scooch, tell me how the market is reacting to what Barnwell is saying. 
well, we got some sharp money on the on the under, but uh, not real big. It's one of the least bet totals that we have on the board. Ironically, there's not a whole lot of public action either. Uh, I just don't think that anyone really like they wouldn't be surprised if Carolina won ten games, and they probably wouldn't be surprised if they only won seven games. Uh, they're they're just uh, kind of they they saw the the rise and fall of this team make it to the to the Super Bowl and then just underperform the the, the next year. So uh, not a whole lot of interest in this one. Well, you know why? <laughs> also, Southern team, crappy colors, shitty logo, <laughs> unmemorable, in, yeah. no history. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Barnwell, what's next? Well, uh, given that criteria, I think this might be another low action bet. might be Tennessee uh, going under their total, which at the moment, according to the trustyactionnetwork.com website, uh, is eight even uh, is the under. So um, I'm I'm very skeptical of a lot of things there. I, I, you know, I could see a scenario where you look at it and say, wow, they got a young, talented team. Uh, didn't love the coaching staff last year. Marcus Mariota, uh, very talented young quarterback, had an off year. You see him playing better. You see the team staying healthier in some ways. Uh, maybe they're going to be a, a team that could win 10 games. But a couple of things for me. Number one, they were a team that really beat up on bad teams last year, played the, the second easiest schedule in football, according to my numbers. And this schedule's not going to be tough. But I do think the AFC South is going to be a lot better. I think Houston, we talked about, is a, a likely candidate to improve dramatically. Uh, Jacksonville, the numbers last year said they were a dominant team, even better than their record indicated. They should be back at that level to me. And then Indianapolis is getting Andrew Luck back. And if he's Andrew Luck, that's a big leap forward. They were a team that, according to the numbers, was a lot better than they looked uh, in terms of their final record. So except the division being a lot tougher, and then I, I am skeptical of the new coaching staff. Mike Vrabel, someone who I think a lot of people like, uh, liked him from his pro career, a lot of respect around the league, but that was true of Mike Stingleferry, uh, another former linebacker, and he didn't get things done in San Francisco. And Vrabel's one year as a, a coordinator with Houston last year, they dropped off pretty significantly. There were some injuries there for sure, but there were injuries the year before. J.J. Watt was missing for even more of the year, I believe, in 2016, and they were able to hold on just fine. So uh, I, I'm not necessarily enthused if there's a great coaching staff there. It's going to have Marcus Mariota take a leap forward. So uh, their additions this offseason, Malcolm Butler, you know, was pretty bad last year, even before the Super Bowl. Dion Lewis, the guy who's super talented, but incredible injury history. Um, they traded up repeatedly in the draft with talent that I don't know is necessarily worth it. Jack Conklin, uh, their excellent right tackle is, Coming off the 20s, he all suffered in the playoffs. He might not be ready for the start of the season. Uh, Rashard Matthews is still uh, possibly unable to play. So uh, I, I do think there's a lot of negatives there. I, it's not that I can't see a scenario where they improve, but just to me, it's much more plausible uh, given the numbers, given their roster construction. Uh, they do take a step backwards, and they're more of a 6 and 10, 7 and 9 team here in 2018. Nondescript Southern team with a logo no one could pick see? out of a hat. <laughs> You just proved my theory again. Scooch, give me a market reacts on that. So the first couple of bets out of the gate were on the over on this one for uh, some pretty sizable bets. And within the last two weeks, we saw some uh, equally uh, large action on the under. So we're dead even in terms of actual money on the game. And the, the, the public ticket counts pretty low on, on this one as well as uh, the Titans aren't typically, you know, one of those public teams like the Steelers and Cowboys. But um, but the money's dead even, but it's pretty sizable money on both sides. So uh, we really didn't move the uh, the total much. All right, Scooch, give me your two faves. Now, okay, so now it's a little different because I'm actually able to change the numbers that I'm using. So I'm actually, I'm, I'm actually <laughs> screwing my, <laughs> I, but typically I end up screwing myself over because I've already moved them in the direction where we're shading. So uh, the, the first, the first one is, is the Rams and, you know, we, we loved them last year to go over a very low total. So uh, we shaded them on, on the very high side at nine and a half over $1.50. Uh, we're up to 10 already on the game, uh, but I, I still think that they'll go over 10. Here's a, here's a team that they had 11 wins last year, and in my opinion, only got better 
with the acquisitions, they got to keep to lead Marcus Peters, Dominican Sue. So, I mean, they've, they've, they've got some pretty good moves in, in free agency. This team is going to be even better than they were last year. So, and the public agrees with me. Uh, the sharp guys got in a little bit early on at uh, over nine and a half, and they've slowed down a little when we went to 10. Uh, but uh, it may be, may be a square play, but uh, it looks pretty favorable. Total square play. What's your next one? <laughs> uh, the, the the 49ers under, and and again I, I already and I already moved it under, and and the reason is I, I kind of equate them to what the Raiders were last year. When the Raiders, like two years ago, they had that 12 win season where the hype was just tremendous going into last year, kind of ripe for a regression. I, I think they're not going to sneak up on anybody with the way that they finished the season last year. They're still going to be a good team, and they're in a division where teams like the Cardinals and Seahawks are also on the downslide. But uh, they're, they're, the expectations are too high for what the total is, and I, I think a lot of the public kind of drove it up to that number, but uh, I, I, I favor that one under. Couldn't disagree Any- more. You like them over now. You I like think, them over, huh? I think the Rams are the Raiders from two years ago. <laughs> really? Yeah. Okay. I think the Rams are the Raiders from two years ago, the Vikings from eight years ago, and the Lions from seven years ago. <laughs> How many wins do you think they're going to get then? The Rams? Yeah. Nine. Nine. Okay. Close. Well, I'll throw in some bonus ones for you. How about the Steelers under? I love Mm -hmm. that. Yes. Overrated. 100%. Okay. Well, we're on the same page there then. And they're they're in a a real – they've got a tough schedule playing all those teams that we just mentioned in the NFC South this year uh, at 10.5 games. Um, I think by the end of the season, you're going to see them fade a little bit. What's your biggest liability right now? Um, Well, the the Vikings over was – a pretty big one. And here's one that's, I mean, it's really going to shock you. And I, I think I talked a little bit about it, but the Denver Broncos uh, was one of our, one of our biggest decisions out of, out of everything on the board. And uh, mm-hmm. at seven, seven and a half games, both, I mean, a lot of it's public. I mean, you talk about one of those teams that has a pretty big following and their proximity to Vegas, uh, that, that accounts for some of it. But um, there's some, some pretty big bets at over seven and a half games there. So that, that one surprised me a little bit. Hmm. Boy, are people stupid. <laughs> wow. Listen, I, I got a call like I see it. You know what I'm saying? Yep. That's, yep. Straight that, that, that's the sharp way. That's a, yeah. I'm a straight shooter, man. Straight talk express. <laughs> All right, listen, everyone go read Bill Barnwell on ESPN.com. Uh, he's fantastic. Everyone continue to download the buffet with Chad and Scooch because Scooch is fantastic. And I'm a futurist, so you probably just want to listen to everything I'm saying to get in on the game. Bill Barnwell, thanks for joining uh, the buffet with Chad and Scooch. Yeah, pleasure, great guys. stuff, Bill. Scooch, thanks for, com- thanks for coming on your podcast today. Thanks, Chad. You too. <laughs> All right. I'll talk to you guys again soon.